All right, so let's get into part two this morning. Um, when we talk about making room for God in our vision, we talk about making room for God in who we are as a community of faith. We talked about being a family-oriented community of faith last week, but it really boils down to our ethos. Um, that characteristic spirit of a culture, era, or community that is manifested in its beliefs and aspirations. And I know this is kind of a recap of last week, but I want to hit it and quickly and then move on to the body of what I want to talk about today. The core values, if you've taken leadership cohort, you hear me talk about this at great length in, in the leadership training that I do every semester. But, but we talk about basically the core values of Gen U Church, which we are multi-generational. I'm going to unpack that today at, in, in great length. We're experiential in our worship. We, we, uh, we're a Pentecostal church. We're Pentecostal charismatic, but we don't necessarily look like a traditional Pentecostal church. Some of you, uh, your only thought of Pentecostal churches is people running around with snakes. Um, that ain't us. Uh, and, and if it was you, it's not me. Okay. So, you know, if you want snakes, you got to find somewhere else. Uh, you pull it out here, we're going to kill it and, and be done with it. But the, th the thing about it is that Pente biblical Pentecost is not necessarily what traditional Pentecost has always looked like. Uh, just because it's been part of your tradition and you've practiced it a certain way doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical. Now, I'm not saying that, that it's sinful the way it was practiced. I'm saying I think as we have grown and matured in the Lord down through the, especially in the last 150 years, 120 years in this country, um, there's some things that we've learned about Pentecost and what the Bible says about Pentecost, that it doesn't have to be something that's a, that's a, a chaotic, confusing frenzy uh, when Pentecostals get together. And, uh, and I'm fifth generation Pentecostal, so I'm, I'm not talking about something that from the sidelines looking at it, I'm talking about from someone who grew up in this, practiced it a certain way for the vast majority of my life, but about 37, 38 years old, around 40, maybe 40 years of age, I began to, to look at it from a different perspective and began to do some studying and some digging around in scripture and, and a multitude of counsel and a whole lot of other things. And, and, and it changed the way I think. It changed the way I think about it. And it changed, it's changed the way that I teach it. And, uh, and those of you that have been around here for a decade or more, you know uh, what, we, what we stand for and how we teach that. But we want to make sure that a core value of Gen U Church is that we're multi-generational, that we have experiential worship, that we have a balance in our preaching and teaching, that we don't get hung up on one side or the other, that we're not always running off on tangents, that we stay in balance. And sometimes, sometimes people look at balance and they go, well, balance means lukewarmness. You know, I've, I've had people look at me and go, well, you're talking about being lukewarm because, you know, the Revel book of Revelation says that we're not to be, because you're hot and you're not hot and you're not cold, I'm going to spew you out of your mouth. And the problem with that is that is not what that passage is actually talking about. Now, here's what I want you to think about. And this is not the teaching today. This is going to, this is a free, but it's not going to cost you one nickel. Okay. But I'm probably going to feel a little bit better once I get it off my chest. So here it is. What we don't understand about that passage many times is what, what is the context in which he's, he's, the Lord is speaking to us. I wish that you were hot or cold. You know, nobody wants to be cold spiritually, right? We don't want to be cold spiritually. So what is the deal with that statement? This is God speaking to the churches. I wish you were hot or cold. Here's what I found out after a whole lot of years of studying and a few visits to the Holy Land and, and, and trying to figure some stuff out. Here's what I figured out. When he talks about 
hot and cold. There's a point in heat when something gets to a certain point that all the impurities are boiled out of it. It's pure. Same thing on the other side. There's a point when things get so cold that all the impurities die off. So what is he saying? I want you to be pure. But because you're not, and you try to compromise and stay in the middle of the road, I'm going to spew you out of your mouth, out of my mouth. So when we start looking at it from a perspective of hot or cold, we always want to go, well, I want to be hot. Or I want to, we never go, I want to be cold. But he said, look, I wish you were either one. Because I, what he's saying is, I want you to be pure in spirit. I want you to be pure in heart. Because you're not there. And they had all type of stuff going on. In, the, in, that, in that church in that particular city. You know, they were, they were, it was a whole bunch of stuff. When you read it, you'll see what it is. But the purity was not a piece of it. And he says, I want you here. So we get in that point. So when I talk about balance, I'm not talking about mediocrity. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about staying in balance with the preaching and teaching of God's word. One of the problems in Pentecost for the first hundred years in our country in this country has been that we were bent to extreme. We were bent to extreme to a point where people used to go, well, we had, we had two messages in tongues and interpretation this morning and the preacher didn't even get to preach. God was there. Or you hear this on the other hand, the other extreme is this, well, none of the gifts operated today and the preacher was just dry. God wasn't there. Those are, that, that's an, that is an out-of-balance way of looking at it. When, we, when I talk about balanced teaching and preaching in this church at Genera as a core value of this church, we stand on the word of God as the authoritative rule of faith and conduct. And we live the word of God. It's not about how many people run and jump and run the aisles and roll around on the floor or nothing like that. You want to do that? That's your business. It's freedom to do what you feel like you need to do in worship. But on the other hand, you've got to get into the Word of God because it's the Word of God that sustains you when difficulties come, not the experience. Stand in the middle, hold fast to the Word of God, anchor yourself to the Word of God, and the Word of God will keep you in balance. That didn't cost you anything either, but I feel better. Restoration. Love, acceptance, forgiveness, a place we're trying to be a place where nobody has to fight life alone. If you're going through stuff, you know, we don't want you to be in that stuff by yourself. We want you to be at a point where God can take you from brokenness to wholeness, a place of restoration. We, we're definitely into spiritual and community formation. Biblical literacy is, is key. Uh, we've got to know the Word of God. We've got to be in the Word of God. That's why we're reading through the Bible again this year. Well, we read through it last year. That's okay. We didn't get it all. Okay, if you did, then you need to be doing what I'm doing, and I need to be sitting listening to you. So, any takers this morning? I didn't think so. We've got to read the Word. Too many of us have been Christians for a really long time, and we don't know anything beyond knowing the ark and David and Goliath. Maybe we go, hey, he fed some people with some bread and fish. But we don't know the deeper things of God because we never read the book. And we wonder why when we go through difficult, when, when something hits us out of nowhere, while we spin off in our faith and go, I just don't think God exists. It's because we're not in the Word. 
because we're not in the Word. The Word is what solidifies us. The Word is what stabilizes us. The Word is the anchor of our soul. Biblical literacy is of the utmost importance, and we get that through spiritual and community formation, and then global missions, where we're doing the Lord's work, reaching out to other people. That All the arrows don't point in, that they, they point out. So last week we talked about um, making room for God as a family of faith, a community of faith, family-oriented community of faith. Today, let's look at it again. Here's the statement. Generations United is a family-oriented community of faith where anyone at any stage of life can experience the dynamic presence of God. Our commitment to love, acceptance, and forgiveness allows God to bring people to wholeness through restoration and spiritual formation. So today, we're going to make room for God as a community of faith where anyone at any stage of life can experience the dynamic presence of God. It is important that we at Generations United Church, that me as the, as the pastor and the staff and, and the eldership and the directors and everybody that makes this their home and all the leaders of classes, all the leaders of groups, that we strive to be multi-generational and experiential in our worship. So how do we get, how do we get to this place? Because I can tell you there was a season about three or four years about a decade ago, where, where I made a huge error in judgment. I'd been looking at the stats and looking at the data, and we had gotten to a point where, where those that were under 30 in this church, we'd gotten down to about 7% of our congregation was under 30. There are a lot of things that attribute to that, a lot of things. Uh, I wasn't 30 years of age anymore, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, and I'm not there now. I'm not going back. I'm kind of going the other direction. But when, as you get older as a pastor, you have to be very cognizant of the demographics in your congregation because what you want to be able to do is spread it out. Uh, there are some places where you can, you can go after younger generations specifically, and it's okay. But here, it didn't work for us. Now, we, we went in about a two-year period of time we went from 7% under 35 to 37% under 35. We hit the bullseye right dead center. There's a, there's a piece of me, and it's been this way for ever since I was a youth pastor. When Kim and I, the last couple of years that we were youth pastors here, we developed a singles ministry. It was called Mainstream. Some of you sitting out here in this congregation today and listening, you're a part of that. You, you went to that and met your spouse. Matter of fact, we actually married off the entire singles ministry over about a two-year period of time. Is that a successful singles ministry? I don't know. Yes. But the, Ed and Kathy seem to think so. Walt and Kayla were a part of that as well, and others that were a part of it. But there's just been an element in my spirit. There's been a piece of me that, that, that I'm, I want to see the 20-somethings. They're called the fatherless generation. 85%, I think the stat is 85% of them, which those individuals would now be in there right around 30 years of age now, maybe 35 85% of them grew up without a father in the house. And that struck me, and, and, it's, a, and it's still to this day something that's deep inside of me that I'm, I'm always trying to figure out how that we can do something with that. So I just decided. I felt like it was, it was the Lord, and, and, and I don't know that it was God. I think it was a mistake to go at it the way that we did because we just, we just said everything we're going to do is pointed at 20-somethings. The only person on our worship team at the time that was out of their 20s was the director the leader of the worship team. That was my wife, Kim. And, and she wasn't 20. Uh, she still looks like she's 20, but she wasn't. Yes, she's my treasure. Okay? We didn't sing a song. We didn't sing a song that was more than three years old. 
I mean, we shifted everything. The face of everything, everything was changed, everything, we did everything we could possibly do, and we went after 20-somethings, and we hit the bullseye straight dead center, and we went from 7% of our, of our attendance under 30 to 37%. And we were about six months from closing doors of this church because we hemorrhaged funds. We couldn't... It, it, and after three years of it, we're, I'm going, we're growing by leaps and bounds. We've got all these young people. There's high energy. Everything's happening here. What's going on? And I couldn't get any answers. And so I do what I always do when I can't find the answer. I go to the woods. I left for about a week. I told Kim, I said, I'm going to the hunting camp. I will be back in a week or so when I have an answer to what's going on. And so I went and I spent an entire week praying with my Bob, nothing but my Bible and my rifle and me and sitting in there with, with the nature. And I prayed and I talked to the Lord and, and all this. You say, well, that's just an excuse to go hunting. Well, whatever, you, whatever it takes, I mean, it takes it, okay? <laughs> but about day five in the tree stand, I can take you to the spot. I can take you to the spot in Gulf County right now. I could drive you over there and I could take you to the exact spot and I could take you, if the tree's still there, I could take you to that same place and I could tell you exactly where I was sitting when God made me know what the problem was. And I was sitting there that morning and boom, it exploded in my mind and in my spirit. And this is what it was. You violated the DNA. You violated the DNA of this church. You violated the DNA of a church that I established in the early 40s, it's always been this. You've taken it and tried to make it something that I never intended it to be. You come down, come home. Kim goes, you get the answer? Yep. Staff meeting on Monday. Okay, guys, I know we spent the last three years reaching these people, but we're going to stop that today and we're going to begin to reach out to every generation that attends this church. And there's about five or six generations that attend here. From the youngest of young newborns, I just did a, a, a funeral back in the fall of someone that was 100 years old that was a part of this church. I said a lot of generations. It's a lot of generations. It was hard because the, the, the idea is this. If you shoot at everything, you hit nothing. But I knew that there had to be a way that we could reach multiple generations in this church. And so we set out to try to accomplish that. Um, you say, well, what did you do about your burden for 20-somethings? I still have a burden for 20-somethings. As a matter of fact, part of the transition from Pastor Luke as the student pastor to young adults and online is to reach that group of people. That's what it's about. Because I still have a heart, I still have a burden for that group of people. As I do every generation... But that's just something that stays underneath. I don't know if you, if you if it's kind of like, you ever had a, a, a splinter in your finger and it kind of heals over, but every time you touch it, you feel something underneath there? That's kind of the way that is for me. It's just been underneath there, and every time I bump it, I'm just kind of, what are you going to do with that? What are, so I've been praying and praying, and finally, over time, God reveals this plan. So this is the direction that we're taking. So what is it about making room for God for anyone at any stage of life? A ministry that reaches out to people from the womb to the tomb, if you will, okay? Youngest to oldest, nursery to senior adults. Um, you say, well, no, babies can't experience God. Well, I beg to differ with you. 
See, what, what I don't want and what we, won't, what we are not looking for and what we don't have here is a babysitting service for your babies and your, and your, your infants and your toddlers. It's not a babysitting service. If it is, we're, we're screwing up royally. So, well, babies can experience God. Well, I, look, Luke 1, 39 says this. Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. That's a coincidence. Well, then why'd they write it down? I mean, if you read, if you read about the birth of John the Baptist, you, you know that John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit at birth. So you know. What does that mean? That means that somewhere in the womb that he had an encounter with God at some level. So can babies, can babies experience God? Yes, they can. Can infants and toddlers? Yes, they can. How many of you in here came to faith in Jesus Christ at five years of age? Around five years of age. One, two, three. Stand up real quick. I can't see all that. I'm wearing glasses now. I'm getting older. Okay, thank you, thank you. Five years of age, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Can anyone at any stage of a life experience God? Yes, yes, they can. There's the stage of, of, of the chronological age, the age stage. Now, we have all these generations here, and if we're not careful, we'll get stuck in ours. We'll get stuck in ours. It's called chronocentrism. Just like we can get stuck in our own ethnicity and, and it's ethnocentrism where we think that, that my age, my time is the only time that matters or my, my ethnicity is the only ethnicity that matters. You know, and, and the truth of the matter is that that's not the church of God. That's not how God has set up his church. When we get stuck in our time, it, it looks weird because we, we, we only like a certain kind of music and we won't tolerate anything else. You say, well, you're going to get on the music this morning. Well, I'm going to hit around the edges of it a little bit. Okay, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people don't like the fact that I don't use the King James version of the Bible to preach out of. You know, and, and I'm sorry. I mean, I use it occasionally to refer, and, I, and every now and then I'll use a passage. And most of my memorization is KJV because when I was in Sunday school as a wee little lad, that's how we memorized verses. Our memory verses was KJV because there was nothing else. You know. I mean, when you, when you come onto the scene right after Moses lands on Ararat, there's not a whole lot of writing done. <laughs> but the, the thing about it is, is we get stuck. And all I'm saying is this. You can have your preferences. Just don't make your preference conviction to put impose on somebody else. Okay? Same way with music. Same way with music. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. What about other life stages? Single, married, divorced, widow, widower. In grief, recovering from addiction. What about people that are struggling with their identity and their sexual orientation? Should the church be a place for those individuals? Absolutely. Why would it not be? Why would it not be? Okay? Look, look at what Paul said to Titus in chapter 2, the first eight. It's eight verses. It's lengthy, but I want to read it. And I just want you to listen to this this morning. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and fill with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. 
Instead, they should teach others what is good. Now, before we go any further, don't anybody sit here going, well, he didn't say anything about the older men drink, being heavy drinkers. Okay, it's not, it's, he's not saying, ladies don't drink and guys, it's okay. He's not saying that, okay? He's just making a blanket statement about the generations in that church of the day that Titus was ministering in. The older, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. They will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching won't be criticized or can't be criticized is what it says. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Now, that would be a great place to live, that last word there. Have nothing bad to say about us. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. But, but Paul is exhorting Timothy, uh, Titus to look at the generations in the church and recognize that every generation has value and has something to add. Okay? Every generation is necessary. But it boils down to one word, respect. It boils down to respect. Respect each and every stage. Older people respecting younger, younger people respecting older. Each generation respecting those before them and those after them. Okay? It's all about respect. We will never see anyone brought to wholeness and healing that we don't first respect them. The reason, the reason why we don't see a lot of people in, in the LGBTQ plus arena pouring into our churches is because we don't have respect for those people. We judge them. We pull one passage of scripture out of the book of Leviticus and we call them abomination. Now, let me ask you a question. If somebody walked up to you and says, you're an abomination, but Jesus loves you. Think about it. But what Leviticus says, I, look, here's the thing about law, okay? If you're going to use the law as your, as your idea for, for your convictions and the way you deal with other people, then you've got to live by every verse, every word, every line in the book of Leviticus. Amen. Which means no pork. I'm just saying, no bacon, a whole bunch of other stuff. You're going to read it at some point this year. You're going to read the book of Leviticus. And I want you to think about what I'm telling you. Maybe, maybe, maybe read in addition to we're in Job right now. Add Leviticus this week, okay? Tommy, is that okay? Can we add Leviticus this week? Think about adding Leviticus this week and just read through it and go, I'll embrace this 100%. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. Well, why is it in there? To help us understand how God brought a people to a place to be his people. But then we move into the New Testament, and this one guy has this vision on top of a roof uh, in Caesarea by the sea, and everything shifts. Because in that vision, God instructs Peter to tell, to go to the house of Cornelius, and this is what the vision says. What I cleanse, don't you call common or unclean. Okay? 
We've got to be able to get to a place where anybody at any stage of life can experience the dynamic presence of God, a, an attitude and a, and a way of dealing with individuals that says, I respect you regardless of your lifestyle. It's not about the lifestyle, folks. It's not about that. It's about the person that's living the lifestyle. Jesus didn't care about your lifestyle. He cares about the heart of people. Yes, there's there biblical precedent for a whole lot of things, but let's get them to know Jesus first and then let the Holy Spirit do his work in them. That's not our job. That wasn't in my notes, but somebody needed to hear it this morning. Experiential. <clears throat> God is a God that we can experience. God is a God that we can engage emotionally. We can engage mentally, we can engage spiritually, we can engage physically. Making room for God means that we, be, that we engage emotionally. We make room for God to move in our emotion. We make God to move in our intellect. We make room for God to move in our spirituality. We make God, room for God to move in our physical bodies. Because we engage emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically, we can experience God in the same, those same areas of our life. God wants the whole person. Well, you've got to show that to me in the scripture. Okay. Here we go. What about this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That covers it all. That's Old and New Testament summed up in one. And they said, oh, by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Experiencing God. Now, here's a, here's a little sidebar. This is one of those freebies again this morning. But this is in my notes. So I planned it. <laughs> Experiencing God has been, for some, limited to singing in church. I've actually had people tell me, I wish we could sing for 45 or 50 minutes in church. We just need more singing, Phil. I don't take offense to that. If we sang for 50 minutes and I preached for 10, hey, that's a pretty good gig. <laughs> that's a pretty good gig. It's out of balance, but it'd be a good gig for most of us who pastor. On the other hand, I have some that go, I wish we didn't have to sing at all. I wish you'd just teach for an hour and 15 minutes. Well, and here's the answer to that question. Me and you would sit in a room for an hour and a half. Because the vast majority of you are not going to sit out here and listen to me for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. I wouldn't listen to me for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I, wouldn't, I don't like listening to anybody for that length of time. Why do you think our television shows literally, if you take God bless DVRs, because you record them, watch them later, and an hour show is actually about 18 minutes now. <laughs> Cut out all the commercials, you get done with it, and move on to something else. All, all I'm saying is this. If we're not careful, we limit our experience with God to a certain venue or a certain vein. If it's all about the music in church for you, there's a problem. It's not, it's not on the platform up here. The problem's in your heart. Music in church is important. It's important. I'm not going to look, but don't get stuck in the same centric-minded attitude regarding music. Well, I like this. I, I, every now and then, I'm not on social media uh, I, I, I've got a page. I haven't been on it in months. I don't even know how to get to it anymore. Um, and when I need, if I need something posted, I tell Luke or Charlie, and they post it. 
I don't look at social media, but every now and then someone's going to bless me. They send me an email or a text message. Hey, did you see what so-and-so posted? And here had a picture of And a few months ago, I made the mistake of looking at it. And this is what it said. This is, this is back in middle, early fall, maybe late summer, early fall. It said, I just wish so-and-so, our worship pastors from 15 years ago, were still here because they did anointed music. It wasn't too loud. It wasn't too long. It wasn't any of those things. And, and let, me, let me just kind of, can I get something else off my chest this morning? Okay. Thank you. You know, for like 15 years, I was a worship pastor here. They weren't talking about me. Okay. They were talking about the ones after me, Will and Crystal Yates. Love them dearly. They're great friends of ours. Still, we, we talk to them on a regular basis. And they were fantastic. They were. But here's what you need to know. That when I was the worship pastor here before I became the youth, before I became the senior pastor, that Brother Skipper, my pastor, got complaints about the volume and about how I, how I led worship. His wife's still in the church. She'll tell you that's true. People didn't like the way I looked. Well, I had long hair. I had a mullet. I had the mother of all mullets with a perm. Yes. I had, huh? Uh, there's, a, there's a picture floating around. <laughs> but here's the thing, and this is what I'm talking about with the centric-minded. We get stuck in preferences, and we go, this is the music that I like. Because it's music from my time. This is the music that I like because it's the music from my time. Or this is the music because this is the music from my ethnicity. And all we're saying is, I have a preference. But don't make that preference the gospel because it's not. Oh, I just love classical music. Do you know there's never been a classical piece of music ever written? There's never been a piece of classical music written. When the classical music was written, it was contemporary. You read the story about Bach and Beethoven. I know all this stuff because my wife is a music performance major and I had to go to all this stuff. I had to learn all this stuff. So I know how this stuff works, and I'm telling you that the guys that wrote all the stuff we call classical music, they were considered heretics. They were considered heretics. No one's ever written a piece of classical music. All I'm saying is this. Don't get stuck in a centric-minded attitude regarding how you experience God and limit it to just the music portion. Yes, we have great music here. My opinion is some of the best music around anywhere. I love it. And we're going to keep doing it the way that we do it. We shift with the culture. We shift with the generations. But it's all based in how we exalt Jesus Christ. That's the key. But it, we, the things that we get hung up on are based in preferences, the things that we personally like. We've got to be careful with that. And we can like it. I love, I love Garth Brooks. I listen to the Garth Channel. That's the only thing on my radio. Well, there's two other stations. One of them's the Outlaw Channel, too. <laughs> and then there's the message, which is praise and worship. The problem with the message, they only play eight songs, and they, I play them all day long. <laughs> Someone knows exactly what I'm talking about. So here's the thing. Making room for God at any stage of our life and experience the dynamic presence of God means sometimes stepping out of preferences 
and engaging just because we're together as a community of faith. Okay? What you play at your house is your business. What you play in your car is your business. Enjoy it. So what about biblical Pentecost? I'm taking a little bit more time this morning because this one can get a little sideways. Basically, biblical Pentecost boils down to this. It's not based in manifestations, but it's, made, it's based in the manifestor. It's not about the gifts of the Spirit. It's about the giver of the gifts, Jesus Christ. That's biblical Pentecost. The gifts are there. The gifts are at our disposal as believers. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a real deal. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are real deals. But by making room for God, it's about knowing Jesus. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Not surface, not a head knowledge. I want, him, I want to know him with all of my mind, all of my heart, all of my, all of my spirit, and all of my strength. I want to know Christ. And by making room for God and knowing Christ, we can experience salvation, healing, deliverance, the ability to overcome stuff in our life, freedom, peace, joy, comfort, wisdom, guidance, so on and so on. And I could go on and on and on. Anyone at any stage of life can experience the dynamic presence of God if you will choose to make room for God. In every aspect of your life. Hebrews 4, verse 14, 15, and 16 says this. So, since, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So because he didn't sin and because he understands our weaknesses, this is what he says. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. What does that mean? Come boldly, make room for God. It kind of fits, right? There, there at the throne of God, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What does that mean for us? That means that we make room for God. God shows up when we need him. Anyone at any stage of life, from the womb to the tomb, in any, any generation in between, God wants to be experienced by you and I. God wants to be able to pour out his spirit on us. God wants us to, to, to live and bask in his presence. But we have to make room for God in every area of our life for that to happen. Well, I'll give him my heart, and I, but I'm not going to give him my intellect. Why not? Or I'll give him, a lot of people, I'll give him my head, but I'm not giving him my emotion because that, that's just superficial. Not really. Maybe you need to be broken before the Lord just a little bit. Maybe, some, maybe there's a time when some tears begin to stream down your face. Maybe there's some time when you need to go into some, some travail of intercession for a, for a loved one that doesn't know Jesus or for a healing in somebody's body or something like that. When, when you're, you're not just going, okay, Lord, do your deal. I'm not talking about my mealtime prayer type stuff. Lord, bless the food. Amen. There are times when that doesn't fit when there's bad stuff and tough stuff going on. You've got to fall on your face and you've got to cry out to God. It is the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person. What does that fervency mean? That means that we fall on our knees, we get on our face before God, and we cry out to God. And we don't care who hears us. Because we're making room for God in our emotions because we've got to touch God and we need God to touch us or touch someone on our behalf. That's how we make room for God at any stage of our life and experience the dynamic presence of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Went a little long this morning, but you've been gracious. Thank you.
I did get a lot of stuff off my chest, and I do feel a lot better. <laughs> Bow your heads with me for just a moment. I just want to ask you this morning this question. This is, we're not going to we're not do any data points or anything this morning. But it's, it's something that I said, does it, did it strike a chord with you? If it struck a chord with you, could you just raise your hand and say, you know what, Phil, I need to make room for God. Yeah, I thought so. All of us. Most of us, we, we're there. We're there. We've got we to gotta find ways to make room for God at whatever stage of life that we're in. Because we need God to invade that stage with us. And we need the dynamic presence of God in our life. Father, you see everyone in this room. You know who's watching this morning in their living rooms, God, and who will be seeing this this week. God, we, we so desire at Generations United Church to be a family-oriented community of faith where anyone at any stage of life can experience the dynamic presence of God. God, do your work. Do your work in our lives. As we set aside preferences, God, and just engage with you in whatever setting we're in. God, may the manifester of all things, Jesus Christ, show up large. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. And be glorified in everything that is said and done. We'll be careful to give you the praise. We'll be careful to give you the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God. Everybody said amen. All right, before Tommy or while Tommy's coming, let's say the Lord's Prayer together, and then Tommy will come and close us out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you.